Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead. We're going we're gonna to get into it now. You can turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. You're on, if you have a device this morning, you can go to the ESV version. That'll, that'll keep you going with us. John chapter 5. We're going to be taking this series all the way until Advent this year. So this is really what we're going to be focusing on. We'll, we'll do a little diversion at some point in the summer um, as everybody's kind of moving around and traveling and doing vacations. But this is primarily what our focus will be for 2023 is the Gospel of John. Well, the issue that we are having this morning is found in verse 18 of chapter 5. We went over this last week. I'm going to read it again um, because this is what it says. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, him being Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath. Remember, we learned last week that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, a paralytic, gave him his legs back, and the Jewish people were offended because he had done this miracle on the Sabbath. They were more concerned about the fact that Jesus was breaking a law, by the way, a law that they had created out of a, a good law that, that God had instituted years and years before, but they had doubled down on it. They didn't just take a good law, but they took it and they added their own laws to it. And so in their eyes, Jesus was breaking this law but yet he healed this man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. And then we get to verse 18, we find out what's actually going on. And it says, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So as we get into these next verses to, uh, this morning, that's really what we're gonna be dealing with. We're going to be talking about the claims of Jesus this week and next week. And specifically this week, we're going to be talking about the authority of Jesus. Because everything's great with Jesus until he starts making these claims. Everybody's cool with Jesus. He's healing the sick. He's doing some good things. He's, he's, his fame is increasing. There's no reason not to like what Jesus is doing until Jesus puts himself on equal status with God. And so this is where we pick up here in verse 19. I'm going to start reading through 29 today. And it says this. So Jesus said to them in response, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, 
For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is describing his authority here as God's son by claiming two things that we're going to unpack today. He's claiming to have perfect unity with God the Father. And then he's also making another claim, and that is that he has power over life, death, and judgment. So the question we want to ask here right off the get-go is, what does it mean that Jesus has authority? That's our question for this morning. Jesus made claims. We just read these claims in, in verses 19 through 29. He made claims that, by the way, were not insignificant claims. The Jewish people, they, they didn't just slough off Jesus' words, right? Notice they never say, you know what, just ignore him. He's harmless. He just runs at the mouth a little bit. But ultimately, what's the big deal? You never hear them say that. Their hearts had become hardened. It's just the opposite. Their hearts had become hardened. Their hearts had become enraged to the point that they were plotting to kill him. So that's significant. We got to stem back. We got to, we got to look at it. What, what is driving this? What is getting under the skin of the people that can't just receive this guy doing his own thing, right? Why were they so threatened by Jesus is one of the things that we want to ask as we read these passages. Well, Jesus was claiming to be equal with God, which meant that he considered his words to be authoritative. Because he considered himself equal with God, it meant that the words that he spoke, the words that he commanded, were as if they were coming from God himself because they were, right? I remember... Um, Gosh, I remember this. I don't know why this sticks out in my head. You know, you have memories from the past, and for some reason, it's the most irrelevant thing, but it sticks out. But I remember um, we moved to a new house, and uh, Dad bought, I guess, me the lawnmower, right? Um, so it was my job to, to mow the lawn. I was a teenager, but the house we'd had before that, it was kind of in a rural area. We didn't have a lawn. There was nothing to mow. So I, I had to, like, learn how to mow a lawn, right? Um, I've since forgotten that skill. Um, but I remember he had asked me to mow the lawn and I forgot. And then another week went by and I forgot. And it was like the third week. I mean, I don't know. What's the big deal, right? It was the third week and I'd forgotten to mow the lawn again. And he pulls up, you know, it's after school. He's getting home from work and he looks at me and he goes, am I like, am I missing something here? And I said, oh no, that's never, that never sounds good when... <laughs> He says that to me, and I said, I, I'm guessing you are, since you just said that to me. I get a little snarky sometimes. And he said, I've asked you for three weeks now to mow the lawn, and you haven't mown the lawn. And he looked at me, and he said, when I, when I tell you something, he goes, I, I really expect you to listen to my words and to obey my words, which is fair, right, since I depended on him to eat and sleep and be clothed at that time of my life, right? But I forgot to mow the lawn and dad was angry because his words were supposed to have a particular authority in my life and I was just ignoring them. I was being forgetful. In other words, to summarize, for my relationship with my dad to flourish as a 14-year-old, 
I needed to receive my dad's words as, as authoritative. And whether we realize it or not, the authority of Jesus, the words of Jesus, they are that foundational for the flourishing of our own lives. We understand this on other levels, right? We understand this in that we give authority to people who pass laws that either we obey or we don't obey. In fact, a law was just passed in Ohio. Maybe you know about this. You should know about this. But a law was just passed in Ohio that says we cannot hold our cell phone anymore while we drive. And, um, well, number one, I, I can't believe it's taken us that long to pass that law. That's a whole other thing. But, um, but the reason is because a high percentage of, uh, you know, of auto accidents happen due to people who are, you know, on their cell phone more than they're focusing on their phones rather than driving. Um, not that I've ever done that one time. Um, but since this law has been passed... The expectation is that we are to obey that law or we are to pay the price if we don't. Officers have been given the authority to enforce this law. We can disagree with the law, but if we're caught holding a cell phone while driving, we're going to have to pay the price, breaking that law. But if we obey the law, the result will be less accidents, safer conditions on the road for others. For us. Now, the authority of Jesus doesn't function in quite the same way. Why? Well, because Jesus is the sovereign creator of the universe, right? He's a little beyond the people that we give authority to, which are a model of him in some ways. But what this means is that everything that Jesus declares about himself and commands for us to obey, it's indisputable if we believe the claims of Jesus. We never get to look at Jesus and say, that's a you problem. We don't get to do that. We don't get to take Jesus to court. We don't get to lobby to get his laws changed because we disagree with them for any particular reason. Remember how John describes Jesus in, in the first chapter of John. We got into this months ago. He, he described Jesus as the word of God made flesh and full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus' words are to be believed and they're to be trusted and they're to be obeyed for the well-being of our souls. They're not optional. They're not optional. We go all the way back to Genesis 3. We talk about Adam and Eve. We talk about the fall of mankind, right? This cataclysmic moment when Adam ate of the fruit that God said, eat it all, but not that. And he said, Okay, and then he ate that, right? It propelled the entire human race and all of creation into decay. Why? Because Adam made a decision to treat God's words as optional instead of authoritative. So this is what we're going to unpack right now. We, we learned these two baseline things about Jesus's authority. So we're going to unpack those, and then we're going to finish by asking ourselves why these two things matter so much to us as the church. The first one is Jesus has perfect unity with the Father. We see that in verse 19. He said to them, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Now look, Jesus was not implying that he lacked sort of personal power 
of his own accord. That, that's not what he means when he says he just does nothing without the Father in that sense. What he is saying is that his actions were perfectly unified with everything the Father was doing. He was living in perfect agreement with the Father's will, unlike what we are able to do. So his thoughts and his decisions and his actions, every one of them were a mirror image of the heart and the will of God the Father. Now the hang-up that the Jewish people were having, like we talked about earlier, was that Jesus claimed that he and the Father were one. Right? That's the hang-up that the Jewish people were having. Part of it is because this would have been a blasphemous claim to make, according to the Jewish people, right? Because um, uh, to even utter the name of God for the Jewish people, to even say the name Yahweh, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even utter it. They wouldn't even say the name of God, much less claim to have an equal relationship with him by calling him their father, right? So, it, it was an, so what, what Jesus is doing in this moment is, is he's acknowledging his identity as someone who the Jewish people would step back and go, you've crossed the line. Like, what, do you, what are you doing? Claiming that God is your father and that you are his son and that you, are on, you have equal status with God. Like, this is outrageous. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, a guy named John Stark. He, he pastors a church in uh, New York City. And he was saying he was hanging out. He says he hangs out with all these older pastors. Um, he's part of this group, hangs out with, he's in his 40s, hangs out with these guys that are 20, 30 years older than him. And, um, and he said he, he noticed that when he gets around them, he said they're always a little cranky. And he said, and they, they always refer to him as son. And he's just kind of like, and I said, I said, well, what do you think that is? And he goes, it's a power move is what it is, you know? And, um, and I said, well, I don't know. Maybe they're just older and that's the way they refer to you. He goes, again, if they were my parents, it would be okay. He goes, but they're not. So they don't, I'm not related to them. They don't get to call me. I'm not their son, you know? They're, they're putting me in my place. They're, they're doing it for a reason. They're, they're attributing something to me that is, is untrue. They don't have the right to call me that because I don't, I, am, I, I don't share their DNA. They are not my parents, right? You guys get my point. Jesus had the right to call God his father because he was God's son. Jesus actually has an interest, interesting conversation with uh, one of his disciples, Philip. We're gonna read this down the road, but we can turn to it right now if you wanna go to John 14 because he, uh, he unpacks this a little bit a little bit more fully here in John 14, what he's driving at. John 14 and, and picking up in verse six, and it says, Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, he says. From now on, you, you do know him. And you have seen him. And then Philip, verse 8, says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So there's a lot in there to unpack beyond what, what we're driving at with this, but it's another way that Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am God, is what Jesus is saying. And in fact, in John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father, we are one. So what relevance does this have for us this morning? Well, the relevance is that everything that we are able to know about God, we learn from the person of Jesus Christ. His love, his mercy, his grace, his holiness, his faithfulness, his power, his knowledge, his his immutability, which means his unchangingness. We learn all of that about God through the person of Jesus Christ. So, So as we study the Gospel of John, over the next year, everything we are going to understand and gain a deeper understanding about Jesus is just going to give us a deeper understanding about the person, the character, and the work of God himself. And by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to happen. Our knowledge of Jesus will increase, our love for him will increase, and our likeness of him will increase. If we remain humble, if we remain repentant, people who seek to follow him, who seek to grow in him, who take his words as authoritative in our life. Because if we have unity with Jesus, we will have unity and peace with God, which is everything, which is everything. But it's also the thing that in our flesh, like these Jewish people, we push back on. Why? Because we just don't like people telling us what to do, right? Melissa and I had a funny conversation about this this morning when I was kind of laying out to her what I was talking about. She goes, that's so interesting because what's one of the things that I always tell you? Don't tell me what to do, right? (laughs) To which I say, I I don't ever do that, so I don't know why you're always saying that to me, but um, here we are, you know? But that's just, I think that's intrinsic, right? Like when somebody tells you what to do, you just immediately go, I mean, do you get to do that? Do you have the authority to do that? And so when we come to God's word, even though for those of us that have been changed by God's word, that have the love of Christ and the spirit of Christ living inside of us, we still have a little bit of that pushback, right? We still have a little bit of that pushback. That's why it's so important to understand more deeply the words of Jesus that are being spoken by Jesus so that, and this is what we're gonna unpack next week, so that we don't just believe in Jesus, but so that we believe Jesus. Big difference between those two things. We'll get into that next week. So Jesus has perfect unity with the Father. The second thing that we wanna unpack is, his, is this claim that he says that he has power over life, death, and judgment as we look through verses 21 through 29, Jesus says, the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. 
So raising the dead is only possible if you are God. So Jesus makes this, makes it just another incredible claim, affirming his deity alongside the Father. In fact, this power of life and death, right? Just think about that. We just, like we say that line, you know, like it's just this, oh yeah, the power over life and death. I do that every Tuesday. You know, like we just say that like it's not even a thing, but just let that rest on your heart for a minute. The power over life and death. That's what Jesus is claiming to have. In fact, the book of Daniel chapter 12, um, it, it, it talks about this very poetically and beautifully um, what, what Jesus is describing as here, as being one, one of his powers. This, this is what the book of Daniel says. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall, uh, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, we get, this, we get this more panoramic, like this beautiful wide screen view of what it means for Jesus to say, um, I have power over life and death. I have the power to create. I have the power to make things out of nothing. My words have authority to breathe life. They also have the power to condemn those who don't take my words as authoritative. My, my words also have the power to condemn, right? Both of those things need to be in place. We remember the famous story of Lazarus in John 11, which is what this means here when Jesus talks about um, the hours coming when all who are in the tombs uh, will raise. He's talking about that he has this power that people are gonna be able to see of people who were once dead coming to life. And we remember he proves it in, in the, with the story of Lazarus in John 11 when he arrives at Lazarus' tomb. And we remember it's interesting because he starts weeping loudly. Now, the, the passage just says Jesus wept, but when you really dive into the details of that, it, it actually indicates that he was weeping loudly and dramatically because Lazarus was his friend and Lazarus had died and Jesus hates death. It grieves him to his core because death is the big problem. Death is the big problem, the ultimate consequence of all sin, a reversal of the life that Jesus had intended at creation. By the way, all the problems we struggle with in our life are ultimately because we have a death problem. We have a death problem. Jesus raised Lazarus to prove that he has the power over death. But here's the thing. Lazarus eventually died again, right? Lazarus isn't like still alive right now, in case you didn't know that, right? So although our death problem is a physical problem, it's ultimately a spiritual death problem. The question for us is that do we have the lifeblood of Jesus coursing through our veins? Because we need a spiritual blood transfusion from Jesus for us to be saved from the coming judgment over our sins if we haven't come to him and done that. 
which by the way, Jesus has been given the power over also. Jesus says in verse 22 and 23, the father has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Then in verse 27, it says he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Now the word honor here means to have a, a holy fear of God and the coming judgment. So Jesus has the power to pronounce judgment on our sin. Why? Well, because he is the holy and righteous God, which sounds so grim until you realize that there's a but in there because he also graciously gave himself to be our escape from judgment. In verse 24, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Could it be any more simple for us? Could it be simultaneously any more complex for us at the same time in some ways? It says he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the gospel, right? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That is the invitation. That is the offer from Jesus. That is what Jesus is working his way toward as we're reading his words here in John chapter 5. And we'll, we'll eventually get to as we go through the book of John. Here's what's tricky. Jesus declaring himself perfectly unified with God and having power over life, death, and judgment presents a massive conflict for us. Because if it's true, it means that he has rightful authority over your life and over my life. And here's the thing. We grant authority to all kinds of different things in our life. So it's one thing to say, I don't like people telling me what to do. Well, great. I don't necessarily like it either, but there's a good chance I'm granting authority to something else or even someone else that I may not realize in my life, right? I'm going to let that idea or that desire or that person or that object have authority over me. It's, it's going to be something if it's not Jesus. None of you live in neutrality in that sense, right? I'm going to let something or someone dominate my thoughts, order my desires, and control my actions. It's impossible for us to live neutral lives of which there isn't something or someone that's doing that in your life. That is how God made us. Well, let's take a fun one that we can all relate to. Money, okay? Maybe you have granted money to have authority over your life. In other words, when you look at your relationship with money, does it dominate your thoughts? Does it order your desires? Does it control your behavior? Does the love of it or the lack of it prevent you from trusting the Lord? Does, does the love of it or the lack of it control whether you're a generous person or not? Does the love of it or the lack of it lead you to 
spiritual and even physical behaviors that are displeasing to God and therefore harmful to your spiritual health and, and well-being. Money is a good resource, by the way, that God blesses us with to steward well and to bless others with, right? But when we give it rule and authority over our life, we become its slave. We do what it commands and demands of us. There's other things, right? When you talk about ambition being something that rules over us, compels us, propels us, right? We can talk about lust being something that moves in us, right? It brings us to places that God hasn't designed for us. It starts rotting out places in our heart of which then we don't have to offer in praise and sacrifice towards the Lord. It does something to us. It enslaves us. We can talk about greed. We can talk about envy. Coveting what our neighbor has. Being somebody that just works and works because you want to, you know, keep up with the Joneses. Sorry if your last name is Jones, you know. But something where we look around us and we go, I got to do that because they do that. I got to amount to something based on what somebody else has, not necessarily what God's given me, right? Fear. You know, we're propelled by fear, anxiety, things of that nature. Now, the simple answer when we talk about these things is to say, just give it to God, pray, go on your way. But these, what I call sub-authorities in our life, they create complexities. It's not so simple. Because whatever rules you is what controls you. And whatever controls you is what enslaves you. Now, here's the shocking thing that Scripture tells us. And it's this. The path to freedom isn't to be free of enslavement. It's to be enslaved to the right thing. Romans 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, so there's that, there's that freedom word, you have become slaves of righteousness now. And Paul, this is Paul writing, he said, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. In other words, if we never have a desire for the righteousness of Jesus, we will just pursue another desire that will become our master. It is the default of the human heart. And even if it's not necessarily an unrighteous desire, it will turn on us because our motivations for doing it will ultimately become self-serving and worldly. So even if the thing is good, it's, but what's your motivation in your heart for doing it? Because that's kind of what we're driving at here, right? It's only when we see the kingdom of God 
Another way of saying kingdom of God is the good life with Jesus and his righteousness that we will experience freedom and develop hearts with desires that match the desires of Jesus. Then we will not be held under the chains of death. We will not come into judgment, but we will be in union with Christ and in unity with God like Jesus. Jesus is so good to provide a way for us to escape enslavement, which leads to judgment and pass from death to life. He's so good in these words that he is committing to this people that want to see him die and eventually they're gonna succeed. They're gonna succeed in crucifying him. It's not gonna last very long. Why? Because Jesus has the power over life, death, and judgment. That is now your life, death, and judgment. Jesus says in John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I will go and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's where all this is leading to in the Gospel of John. The words of Jesus having that authority that saves us from death. And not just saves us from death, but gives us an abundant life even through the pain, even through the trials, even through the sins that just won't let us go. But we're, we're trying and we're praying and we're repenting and we're helping one another in those things in our sanctification. So for Jesus to rule over our lives, we just step back and we go, Lord, I need to believe you. I need to love you. I need to trust you because I want to live under the easy yoke and the light burden of your rule and your commands. Will we give him rule over our lives so that we can experience that easy yoke and that light burden? Our sin, our flesh says, no, it's not easy. It's not light. It's easier and lighter if I just follow my own rules. If I just fall under the authority of the things that in my eyes give me greater satisfaction. Who will we let rule over us today? Let's pray. Lord, it is, it is so hard to wrestle with these words. It's incredibly difficult when we think and we start considering the different things that rule over us. It can even be devastating to think that we have been struggling with, with certain things in our lives, certain authorities in our lives, um, that years and years later we still struggle with. It's the nature of sin. It's the nature of our journey with you. So Lord, I pray that you would give us encouragement. 
Because for those of us who desire to be free from those enslavements, for those of us who hear your words and your claims and go, I believe that Jesus was God and had unity with the Father. I believe that he has power over life, death, and judgment. Lord, would you, Lord, would you allow these words to free us from those things that are ruling over us today? Would you also allow us to see that there's grace and that some battles we have are gonna be lifelong battles. And you are gonna be moving in us and you're gonna be moving through us sometimes so painfully slow. And yet, because we're yours, nobody can snatch us from your hands. So thank, us that our, thank you that our sin is not more powerful than your grace. Lord, give everybody the easy yoke and the light burden today of your grace and your mercy so that we can be grateful now as we sing of the one gospel that has freed us from death and judgment. We can praise you with all of our hearts this morning. So Lord, for that, we thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.